Blog Talk Radio. You're hungry. I know hypoglycemia can do hostility when I see it. Just thinking. A what? You want to know what I was thinking? About eating? I was thinking about Wakanda. Was that a camp in Wisconsin? Seeing Abdul Habaz's picture reminded me of Moe and Jada, time I spent in Chad and Sudan. Started thinking about Wakanda. Where is Wakanda? It's nowhere. It's a fictional African country. The most technically advanced society in the Marvel Universe. And the richest. Hold on a second. In a comic book? You just geeked out on me in a real moment? Hey, man, when I was a kid, comic books were the only thing that made sense. It was simple. Good guys versus bad guys. For me, it was all about Chala, the Black Panther. Of course. Not just because he was a brother who was richer than Tony Stark. Chala was a leader. He was a president. He was a superhero. All at the same time. It was all about justice. When I left Brooklyn, the only thing I wanted to see was the motherland. And, and to witness that world up close. But instead of finding Wakanda, I found poverty, starvation, child soldiers, death squads. Walt's bread and butter. I thought I could save more. I really thought I could help Jada. That whole motherland thing's overrated. You're traveling to another radio show. A broadcast not only of sight and sound, but of mind, mind. A journey into the wondrous land whose boundaries are that of the imagination. imagination. That's the on-air sign up ahead. Your next stop, Afro-Nerd Radio. With your guides, Dee Bird, Captain Kirk, and on Grindhouse Saturdays, the uncanny Daryl D. And introducing West Coast correspondent, Miss Claire Linnae. Mind expansion engaged. best-reviewed movie of Christmas with an incredible 93% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. Line it up! The perfect blend of action, heart, and humor. Not just a great Transformers movie, a great movie, period. Bumblebee, now playing. Ready PG-13. What's up, people? Boy, two weeks away from Luke Cage. You know I just can't wait, folks. Also, Hampton stays winning. 
my alma mater, Hampton University, Hampton, Virginia. Uh, I got a quick Twitter blast from our friend Black Ronin. And uh, I got to give a shout-out to Bison. <laughs> what happened, Bison? This was, a, this was an HU versus HU. Well, listen, there's a thing about HU. Like, we shouldn't even call ourselves HU because I think Howard University actually went by those initials before we did. It's, when I was there, we called it HIU. Nevertheless, I think he said the updated score for the uh, legendary games, 31-0, Hampton's favor. Uh, holler at me, holler at me, Bison. <laughs> we, we got some talking, talking to do. All right, folks, this is the Grindhouse, if you haven't guessed it. We have a lot to get into. The gang is all here, your own podcast, Legion of Superheroes. We have the Left Coast correspondent, Claire Lene, the Uncanny Daryl B, and, of course, Captain James T. Kirk is in the his house. Let's get to a quick groove an urban alternative, black rock and roll, psychedelic soul, Afro-punk-inspired groove. This perhaps, this gentleman perhaps is the originator. So I'm going to give him his due. This is the legendary, legendary Jimi Hendrix with the Band of Gypsies. I'll give you about two and a half minutes. This is who knows. Who knows who won against, against Hampton versus Howard? We'll be right back. Let's groove.
hated doing that. I, that's one of my favorite grooves. Who knows? The indefatigable, legendary, never to be duplicated, Jimi Hendrix. And this is the Grindhouse edition of Afro Nerd featuring Captain Kirk and, of course, Clay Lanay and the uncanny Daryl B. Let's just get into this, folks. Um, Cap, you're needed on the bridge, as always. Let's get to it. All right, let's get it started, ladies and gentlemen. All right. This gentleman just doesn't need a damn introduction. <laughs> you know him by now. He is the uncanny Daryl B. Well, John Totorella, instead of thinking what black athletes would do if you had one on your hockey squad, maybe you should have gotten Team USA ready to play Team Europe today. Stay out of my lane. And per usual, Daryl is always just smooth and calm. <laughs> no worries. You could tell by how, you know, his delivery, very nice. And hey, this young lady. Hey, <laughs> yeah, hey, yes, he, yes. He, he, hey, he doesn't have any black players on that team. All right. You can discuss. Okay. All right. Listen, we have our bionic woman from the left coast coming up, man. We got to give the queen her due. Well, let me get, let me get, let's give some groove. Let's get some groove first. Hold on. Ah. All right. Let me bring her in. This is the left coast correspondent, Claire Lanay. Bionic woman this week, though. The bionic woman this week. Yes. Wonder all woman right, next week. All right, all right. I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> How you feeling, girl? I'm doing okay. Doing all right. How are you? I'm doing very well. Um, we have a lot to get into this week. There's a whole bunch of stuff. My excitement increases as we get closer to the Netflix premiere. Uh, it's going down. There's a lot of stuff to talk about, so I want you to do your thing. You have the weekly roundup. It's an extremely popular segment. We're always getting tweets about you. So uh, people feel you, so uh, let's just give it to them. Claire's weekly roundup. All right, here we go. It's going to be a quick one. Let's get into it. In casting news, uh, Westworld actor Ben Barnes joins the cast of Netflix's Marvel spinoff, The Punisher. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. actress Deechen Lachman will play Supergirl Season 2 villain Roulette. Benicio Del Toro is in talks to star in a Predator reboot. Newcomer Kaylee Spaney lands the female lead role in Pacific Rim 2. 13-year-old rising actress Storm Reed has been cast as the lead in Disney's A Wrinkle in Time. Oprah is also starring and Ava DuVernay is set to direct. Star Trek Beyond actor Dan Payne has been cast as young Obsidian in Legends of Tomorrow. As previously mentioned, sci-fi veteran actor Lance Henriksen will play an older version of the character. Probably best known as Rorschach in Watchmen, actor Jackie Earl Haley has been cast in Alita Battle Angel. The project is being written and produced by James Cameron and Robert Rodriguez 
will direct. In other news, Star Trek Discovery has been pushed back from February to May of 2017. Kevin Smith reveals that Dr. Alchemy will be in the episode that he's directing. Another villain who is rumored to show up in that episode is Killer Frost. With the growing popularity of shows like Dark Matter and Killjoys, Sci-Fi is trying to expand its current slate by ordering three more pilots on top of Prototype and Krypton. The first is an artificial intelligence drama called The Machine, based on the 2013 cult film. The second, a supernatural horror drama called Haunted. And the third is based on Grant Morrison and Derek Robertson's graphic novel, Happy. In film news, Suicide Squad has passed the $700 million mark worldwide. Looks like Margot Robbie will be starring as well as executive producing the Harlequin spinoff. Though Brian Singer and Simon Kinberg confirmed in the X-Men Apocalypse digital commentary that Mr. Sinister is going to be featured in Wolverine 3, director James Mangold posted a tweet saying that he won't be. Looks like they need to get their story straight. In stranger news, Fox has secured the rights to Stan Lee's life, but instead of a traditional biopic, they're developing a fictional 1970s action-adventure movie loosely based on the prolific comic book creator. Why is Fox doing a movie about Stan Lee instead of Marvel Studios? And why are they doing a retro Kingsman Secret Service type of movie and basically superimposing Stan Lee's likeness? Confused yet? Yeah, plenty of folks are still scratching their heads over this one. Sony is making a movie about astronaut Scott Kelly's year in space. Big Hero 6 star Ryan Potter campaigns to play Tim Drake in the DCEU by creating his own stunt concept video. Hitman Agent 47 producer teams with Vault Comics to adapt graphic novels by Tim Daniel. Due to extensive reshoots, Michael Giacchino will replace Alexander Desplat for Rogue One. And in doing so, he'll become the first to compose the score for the Star Wars franchise, aside from John Williams. Marvel is bringing Iron Fist, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and Legion to New York Comic Con. From the directors who brought you classics, such as Little Mermaid and Aladdin, Disney has released a full-length trailer for Moana, a Polynesian princess voiced by Ali'i Corvallo, and co-starring Dwayne The Rock Johnson. And speaking of, Dwayne Johnson's ex-wife and current manager, Danny Garcia, is not only helping The Rock develop the Shazam movie for the DCEU, but she also represents Henry Cavill. Garcia has confirmed that Man of Steel 2 is definitely in the works. Well, that's all for my weekly roundup. Back to you. All right. Her usual, excellent weekly roundup, very exciting. Uh, the call-in number, folks, for, folks, for those who'd like to join in with our discourse, uh, 646-915-9620, 646-915-9620. Um, I wanted to talk about, in just a, kind of a general sense, as to what to expect for the forthcoming fall TV season, just in general, some of our uh, returning shows, some of the new shows, what have you heard so far? 
Um, let's go. Let's go to the uh, to Daryl B. What, what are you looking forward to? I mean, I, I'm always kind of gushing over this Luke Cage thing. Uh, that's kind of been obvious, and we could talk about that briefly. But there there are other things, you know. But you wouldn't know it by how I talk about it. But what are you looking forward to? Uh, returning and also new things for the fall TV season, Daryl. Well, already I got my first thing. This week was the first first episode of South Park, which is a which was a brilliant takedown about the anthem, Colin Kaepernick, and the whole controversy. They slung arrows, including the the election and all of that. They slung arrows at all sides, and most of them hit. So the, my first thing hit, got got nailed on perfectly. Uh, of course, me, it's comics TV, all right? The Strain this season actually has been doing better, uh, and, that, that, and that's kind of the kickoff leading into what, what I'm expecting. You know, I can't wait to see The Flash and how they ride around it because uh, this, uh, the type of subject they left off with going into Flashpoint is something that can be very hokey if you can't hit it right, all right? Luke Cage, you've already mentioned. I don't know where they're going to go in Arrow. I don't know how they're going to make up. I don't know what they're going to do there. Um, Of course, being a big uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. guy, I can't wait to see Ghost Rider. I can't wait to see how they handle Robbie Reyes. I can't wait to see how they handle that because it's uh, uh, – a lot of people don't like the fact that it isn't uh, a Ghost Rider on a motorcycle to begin with. And then you're throwing it in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., you know – and we 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 got to see how how that that situation gets handled, and outside of that, you know, it, it's just uh, sit down, uh, sit back, and see what grabs my attention. Uh, I, I, I'm done making predictions as to the fall year. Predictions suck. All right, now it's up to you guys to give me quality on the TV. All right, uh, but certain places have raised the game, raised the stakes. All right, I'm not, I'm not going in with high expectations. You 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 provide me with the quality this year. Back to you, Afrinerd. All right, Claire. Any any thoughts about what to expect for the fall season for yourself personally? Anything anything that you're looking to return, or anything that you've heard about on the horizon that may interest you? Well, um. I gotta say, there's a lot of television that I really do have to catch up on. I'll admit that. But, uh, but you know, in terms of, in terms of the comic book shows, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm, I'm very curious uh, as to this new, darker tone, this ten o'clock <laughs> version of Agents of Shield. Um, of course, we're all, you know, curious, but you know mildly hesitant and you know, obviously there's a lot of nervousness around how Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which, let's be honest, at times has been a little up and down, a little uneven, a little hokey. But uh, but no, I'm curious to see how they play this whole Robbie Reyes and, of course, they cast his brother, Gabriel. I'm a little disappointed, though, still, that, that uh, Mockingbird... And uh, Lance Hunter are no longer on the show, um, and it's even less likely that they'll come back since they're already starting to, you know, book jobs elsewhere. Um, I'm curious to see 
you know, the TV version of Superman uh, on Supergirl. I'm um, curious to see that that crossover. I'm a little weary about the <laughs> the Supergirl Flash musical crossover. A little, you know, eyebrow raised on that one. But uh, but no, there's a lot of a lot of stuff that I'm looking forward to seeing, and I can't believe it's fall. Where did this year go? But uh, but yeah. Yeah, like I said, I still got a lot to catch up on. Yeah, I I, um, I found myself tripping into TV shows. I just happened to check out a show that that's uh, I believe broadcast from the UK right before our own broadcast. It's called Hooten, H O O T E N, Hooten and the Lady. And uh, I, I looked at this young woman, the act, British actress. I kept on looking at her. I said, "Damn, she's so familiar." And then I find out that she was, uh, I think, on season three of of Elementary. She played this. Um, she, she essentially ended up being somewhat of an apprentice to to the uh, Johnny Miller uh, version of Sherlock Holmes, and uh, I, you know, but she just she's playing a much lighter tone. You know, she played a very darker character. On elementary, so I just so happened to see this Hooten and the lady, and you know it's, it's a ro- romantic, adventurous, adventurous um, send up of, I'd say it's very close to an Indiana Jones, Romance in the Stones styling. Uh, a, this British woman plays a a um, museum curator, and in order to save the museum, she has to go out and and find these these artifacts and. Uh, you have this roguish ne'er do wells played by um, I can't recollect the actor's name, but his he, his face is recognizable because he was Jimmy Olsen in Lois and Clark. So uh, I like the chemistry between these two actors, and I have a thing for the Brits, even though he's an American and she's British. And I'm seeing more of those collaborations as well uh, for British television. So uh, again, uh, the first episode I, be- I believe was just released the last day or so. Hooten. And the lady. Um, and speaking of elementary, I'm intrigued about how elementary may, may, may work itself out. I'm hearing that uh, they're introducing the actor from um, True Blood, um, the, the gentleman that played the, the, uh, the black gay guy that was the cousin to Rutina Wellesley's character. So he's coming in as some kind of some something to do with with elementary, um, like like uh, Daryl, I'm I'm very much intrigued about this season three of the Flash and th- their version of Flashpoint. Uh, I, I don't know. I, it, so far, they can't really do anything wrong for me. Arrow, I've, I'm kind of zoned out of. I'm hearing they, they're going to add a lot more characters, and um, hopefully they'll they'll do some things to make it more interesting to me. But something, something about an arrow is just not hitting it for me. And it, it, when it initially did, it was great the first, se- first I'd say two seasons, but something is just it's just not hitting for me. So hopefully they'll do some improving uh, with with this season. Um, I can't think of anything else per se. Let's go to the captain. Captain, anything is, that you're looking forward to for for uh, fall TV season for the fall t- TV season. Well, well, Doctor Who is delayed, so let's forget about that. 
That's what they tell me. Well, you have the flash. That's obvious, right? You have blind spot. I'm already blind. I'm already in the blind spot already because I missed the oh, first yeah. episode. I, yeah, I saw uh, that. That was pretty good. And you also have the blacklist. That's really about it. Whatever else comes down, I check it out. Normally what happens is I start with a big list of shows. I begin watching. And I watch maybe for about four episodes. And I start chopping heads. That's what I do. And it ends up to maybe about six or seven shows by the time December rolls around that I continue with. Then we get into the next half of it. Then we go from there. So those are the shows, people. Those are the shows. Back to you, Afro-Nerd. Well, you know, uh, there's a New York Times piece that unpacks about the fall TV season, and it's entitled, The Fall TV Season Isn't Dead Yet, But Why? And they, they talk about upwards of 80 new and returning network shows and 35, as they put it, significant cable and streaming shows. So, I mean, who has the time to see this many shows. I mean, this is, this is, well, like you said, a lot of this stuff is going to be thrown to the wayside. I, I can't imagine. But it goes to show you just how much stuff is is out there. And, uh, and we spoke about Atlanta several times, and uh, it appears that the ratings on Atlanta are pretty good. I mean, very good, where even the, the retention of, of the audience is maintaining a, a solidly. I think by the second or third episode, 92% of the audience from the first episode stuck around. So with that kind, with those kind of um, analytics, Atlanta should do very well. But um, hoping to replicate that with other, well, these these 100 plus shows. Um, good luck with that. Anyway, let's let's move things along a, a bit more. Spawn gets a reboot. We've been hearing about this for a moment, but the man himself, Todd McFarlane, was interviewed. I believe it was, it was through uh, DC's All Access, of all places. And he said, rather bluntly, that, yeah, it's going to be done. It's going to be different uh, than the 1997 version. And even, and even for him to allude to the 19, 1997 one, with Michael J. White, um, and also John Leguizamo, uh, I can't believe it's almost 20 years. I mean, well, might as well be 20 years. And he, you know, made some kind of uh, half coy remark about no man in a rubber suit. So he was against the rubber suit thing. So he definitely has a different take. He, he uh, referenced kind of more of a horror, ghostly take. And he even provided some sketches as to how he is doing this. So, Daryl, what did you hear about? about McFarlane wanting to go into this thing again. and uh, I, I used to be very, very much into the Spawn comic book, I will confess, but when the Henry Simmons character, uh, from my understanding, I, something happened to him where he no longer he, he, he relinquished, or something happened to him where he relinquished the Spawn title, that there's some other guy that is Spawn now, like almost like a Ghost Rider kind of thing. So I haven't collected Spawn in... A couple of years. I think I might have collected the first hundred or some odd issues, and then I just fell off. Um, what are your thoughts about about what he's going to do? And are you from more familiar with where Spawn is now? Nope. 
and ask me if I care? Nope. Why? McFarlane, you didn't care. The, the instant this became news was when Captain America's Civil War hit big and like, oh, I want to redo Spawn in theaters all of a sudden. Oh, I want to get Larson to, to do the comic book again. Sorry, unless you're a hardcore 90s image fan and how many people are still left from there, this doesn't make any difference. All right? You, you, you're the one who killed your own golden goose here. Okay, unlike Hellboy, where at least Mignola with Hellboy, he has kept up with Hellboy all of these years. He built his own core following where that got two movies and where people are interested, lukewarmly interested in getting a third movie. You essentially went, well, I got McFarlane toys. I got these sketches. I'm going after this baseball. But what about Spawn? Oh, uh, spawns there. Now all of a sudden, hey, I'm interested in making a spawn movie, and and it's gonna be no rubber suit. And the comic going public is okay. Good for you. We don't care about the character. You let too much time elapse. Sorry, bruh. Back to you, Afro nerd. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I have to admit, I, I kind of sort of feel feel that way. And I was really a spawn fan. I mean, he's, he's an African American character. People fail to re- to really realize that, and uh, the the early underpinnings of the story dealt with. I mean, it was it was a perfect cinematic premise, and I guess it, it was it was dealt with to a certain degree in the movie. But uh, the fact that this character dies essentially makes a, a, a deal or a pact with the devil, and he 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 comes back. But he comes back as this this creature with these superpowers, but he's he's not really human. Uh, there's even a moment where you know his face is scarred, almost like uh, like Deadpool in the way. If you think about that connection, as far as the scarring thing. But then there's a, there's a moment where he's able to change his face. I'm going way back now. Change his face, but his face was like that of a white man, so that freaked him out. So there's little things like that. It were interesting to me, and that he, you know, he's still on on the earthly plane as this creature. He still is longing for his wife, and his wife is having a, having a I think ma- married to his best friend uh, from from war, or rather, he finds out that he was a uh, more or less a a uh, a professional killer. What was what was the deal with him, Daryl? He was like um. Like a he was a prof- no. Well, Simmons was a secret agent, a secret agent, a soldier, a Green Beret type. All right. If you remember, uh, going way back into Image Law, he was on the same unit as Chapel from Youngblood, and uh, I think Razor Claw from Cyberforce. They, like I said, going way back here. Okay. When he, count, he, 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 he dies through nefarious means, and the devil offers him a deal to come back, right? He's only looking at the, the um, uh, he, uh, he's uh, going, he's looking to only to get back to his wife. The devil's looking to add this powerful soldier to his army. So that's already where the strings are being pulled here. Of course, at this time, Simmons knows nothing about that. 
So he gives him these powers to come back, but the devil being the devil, he leaves him scarred. He plays games with him. And there was that ticking time clock that every time he used his powers meant he was closer to being dead forever and under the devil's thumb. Right. That, yeah, you're that, yeah. You know, that, there's all things. Throw in that the devil would send threats like the Violator and I forget the other other villain he had to make him use the powers so that time clock would go faster so he would have him on the thumb. And it made for a compelling first, like, 50 issues to me. Compelling. But then it became apparent that McFarlane didn't have more than 50 issues worth of story with this character. I'm just keeping it 100, people, because as, after the – he isn't – let's put it this way. He wasn't Eric Larson. He didn't have 100-plus stories in him, all right? He just went, I'm going to tell this story about this character, and now I'm going to keep on going because it's a cash cow. <clears throat> anyway, I, I told you that Team USA lost. It, it put me on the wrong side of the bed right now. Back to you, Alfred. <laughs> All right. Claire, I, I don't know if you recollect the, the one from 97. And there was even a HBO uh, animated cartoon that was pretty much on point. And I can just tell you, as, a, as an avid reader of Spawn, up until a certain point, I think about 100, ish, 100 issues, uh, I, maybe I should have gotten off that wagon even sooner based on what Dow just said. But it, it, was, it was a very compelling story. And then, I don't know, something happened. It's like, it's, okay, this is just crap. It, it just turned to crap. It didn't, it didn't, uh, it didn't expand. Um, what are your thoughts about how this may play out with all these other superhero properties, um, being that it's 20 years later? I mean, I, I could foresee Blade being rebooted and interest being there. But for a Spawn movie, uh, again, McFarlane, speaks about it highly as if it's 1992, but um, I, I, I don't know. What are your thoughts about what you may know, or, or even beyond what you don't know, how it might fit in with all these other uh, upcoming superhero titles? Well, it's been so long since I saw the movie um, with Michael J. White and John Leguizamo. So I just remember vaguely that it was um it was dark. Um it was it was creepy. <laughs> I mean there were certain elements that were just kind of you know like you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm like bizarro creepy with the costuming and and um and well, I Leguizamo uh, as the, Leguizamo as the clown and this guy had to walk yeah. on his knees to play that yeah. character. That was just, you know, it, it kind of had that circus freak show type of, you know, dark darkness to it, um, image-wise, creature-wise, whatever, uh, whatever, you know, the story entailed. Um, forgive me, like I said, it's been a while since I saw it. Um, I don't know how popular it was 20 years ago. Very popular. But, you know, the thing is, is that, and kind of, kind of not, not entirely, but kind of uh, piggybacking on what, 
on what my doppelganger said, you know, this is just, this is the ongoing trend, right? So we're seeing this across the board when it comes to, I just mentioned one, a predator, okay? We got, uh, we, in terms of prequel, sequel, reboot, this is, this is just the day and age for them. I mean, there are literally no original ideas. So we've got Predator. We got um, we got a decades long sequel coming to Blade Runner. Avatar. We, you know, we've had, we've, right. We've seen some shoddy, you know, remakes of RoboCop and Total Recall and you know Independence Day Resurgence. That was you know on the 20-year anniversary, basically. Um, you know, this is just a... Blade Runner's coming. Exactly. This is just that day and age in which we are literally going going back, you know, a decade or two or three to revamp these, these old IPs. So that is no surprise. That is no surprise. And the fact that comic book culture is now dominating the media, again... That's another element coming into this as to why all of a sudden it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now we can do, you know, now we can do an expansion. Now we can do a reboot. And, again, another element on top of that, we got Luke Cage, okay? we got Black Panther. So there's all these different elements that come into play as to why these folks feel like now is the right time to, you know, bring Spawn back to life, Um I uh, I'm not terribly familiar. I'm I'm just gonna say it again. I'm not terribly familiar with it. Um, I really it wasn't that impressionable to me the movie from from 20 years ago roughly. I uh, I'll just say I wish them well. I wish them well and and yes now is the time because everybody and their mother is trying to do a sequel, a prequel, a reboot, a remake. Rehash, recycle, all this material. Comic book culture is dominant, and uh, we're starting to see more characters, you know, heroes of color. So yeah, this is the time. If you're gonna do it, do it now. Cap, you have a dog in this race. You remember Michael Jai White? Well, here's the thing. I'm riding with Daryl. Who the hell cares at this given point about Spawn? <laughs> but, but, here's the but. Be careful. If it's good. If it's if it's well done, if it's well done, <laughs> you might have a jewel here. You might have a jewel. You know, if it's well done, all of a sudden, that's what that's the key to this right now. And it seems like, <clears throat> as I said before, they're just taking shotgun pellet style and just see what sticks to the wall at this given point. So you're going to get some garbage. And the things that are well done, because the fanboys have a voice, they're going to shout it out and say, this, that, and a third. This, that, and a third. This is good. This is well done. This is yada, 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 yada. So if it's well done, I'm in there. I'm probably not going to be the guy that goes in the first week in respect to this. Okay? But if it's well done, I'm in there. But at this given point, who the hell cares? 
That's it. Back to you, Nerd. All right, listen, let's uh, take a quick break, about two minutes, take a quick Afropunk groove break. When we get back, I actually want to talk about this deal with, um, I want to talk about Pitch, the Fox movie. I know that Claire brought it to our attention last week, and there's there's another uh, element to it. Um, there's a couple of things connected. I want to talk about Pitch, and I actually, actually want to talk about Michelle Rodriguez's Tomboy. It seems like this young lady has put her foot in her mouth again. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, 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 we'll talk about it. <laughs> we'll talk about it. This is Marlena Shaw, California Soul. We'll be right I don't mean to be so uptight, but my heart's been hurt a couple times by a couple guys that didn't treat me right. I ain't gonna lie, I ain't gonna lie. Alexa, play meant to be. Okay. If it's meant to be, it'll be, it'll be, baby, just let it be. If it's meant to be, it'll be. With Amazon Music, a voice is all you need. Get access to over 50 million songs. Download the Amazon Music app today. Back. Give me about two minutes. Let's groove. Oh, 
pulling out the phaser once again. Marlena Shaw, California Soul, Diplo Remix. This is the Grindhouse edition of Afro Nerd, featuring Captain Kirk, Claire Linnae, Daryl B., and, of course, your truly, Afro Nerd. Um, let's just get into this. Before the break, um, did I mention Uncanny Daryl B. in that diatribe? And the Uncanny Daryl B. Oh, boy. Six four six nine one five. by the way. Six four six nine one five nine six two zero. Six four six nine one five. 9620 um before the break i had kind of alluded to this deal with fox's pitch um and claire brought it to our attention from her weekly roundup from last week and actually more more is coming out about this uh courtesy of the mary sue website one thing is that the mlb Major League Baseball is actually behind this. Like they're giving full support to to this, and they're treating it very seriously. In other words, uh, the premise, of course, is deals with a a woman being uh, allowed to play Major League Baseball. I guess it would be kind of analogous to Jackie Robinson when he broke the color line, but in this instance, this would be a woman breaking the gender line and professional sports uh for you know for mlb essentially is a male dominated sport there's no way to get around that um and i guess there's a lot of implications with with this story i mean it's, it sounds cool i saw the trailer um claire did you happen to see more about this i mean i know that you you brought it to our attention last week but did you actually hear or see more about what's going on with pitch um, aside from what I reported last week, not not specifically. All I heard was that uh was that Fox strategically chose to move its premiere, you know, time slot to Thursday after that uh, Morris Chestnut show Rosewood. Rosewood. Right. Yeah. So uh so they chose to do that because they knew that ABC would delay scandal, uh, because What's her name? Carrie Washington is pregnant. So right. because of the delay, they took the opportunity to take the time slot um, because they want to, I mean, let's face it, they want to uh, expand upon a particular audience, wink, wink. So, yeah, the lead, the lead character, she is a woman of color. Um, this is fiction, obviously, because as of right now, no no woman has ever played for... Major League Baseball, but I did mention that it does feel somewhat um, connected to or perhaps a possible future premise since we recently heard about that um, 14-year-old girl, Monet, I think her name is Monet Davis. Right, Monet Davis. Um, pitching, uh, pitching for the Little Leagues. So, yeah, you're, uh, you're absolutely right. This is the very first time that the MLB – is in full production partnership with a network. Um, I'm a little, you know, it's to me, it's like I get it. You want to support it because it's very much going to involve being in these, you know, a stadium. It's going to be in that type of setting. Um, I, I think that the premise is, you know, I, on paper, it sounds like a positive one. 
But, you know, to me, whenever partnerships like this occur, I can't help but feel like it's going to end up being one big smokescreen, you know, puff piece advertisement for Major League Baseball. Like, look at us, look at us. We accept people of color, and we're, you know, we're... We're open to the idea of a woman playing, and look at us. We're so evolved. <laughs> we're not just, you know, we're not just for white people. Anyway, so, you know, I'm I'm curious. I'll probably take a look, I guess. But, um, but I'll be the first to tell you right now that regardless of whether or not you have a person of color or a female lead, which I'm always excited to see or hear about, it doesn't guarantee that the premise is something that will capture my attention. And I'm not really into sports, so I'm, you know, <laughs> we'll see. I'll take a look when the pilot comes out. Well, you know, I didn't have that much of an interest in it myself until I actually got into this, this Mary Sue piece, and then I, I took a full, a full uh, gander at the trailer. And then they did mention this. This is kind of to assuage what you just said. I'm going to read this quickly from the Mary Sue. It says, uh, uh, I think someone from Fox, uh, Dan Fogelman, um, had, he was the co-creator. And I'm just going right into this quick thing. It says, he then goes on to explain MLB's major concern reminding people that baseball is an awesome sport and not painting MLB in a bad light. However, that doesn't mean that the show is going to be kissing MLB's ass. Apparently, no topics including steroids, gambling, and domestic abuse allegations are off limits. But Pitch will deal with these real issues in a real way. Uh, okay, says co-creator Rick Singer, MLB's main concerns were that we were going to paint the game in a bad light. They wanted to take – see, this is what you were saying, that this is probably what they, this is probably what they want. They just want like a, 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 puff, a puff piece just to kind of keep the, the image of baseball going on when they're trying to tell a story. Uh, they wanted to make sure we were interested in telling good stories, and not salacious just for the sake of, oh, okay, let's do steroids this week and gambling next week. Well, good luck with that. I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. But I, I, um, I, I what, are your, what are your thoughts about this, Daryl? I mean, you're a sports guy. You ain't captain, actually. Well, hey, I, I was the guy that was following Moni, Moni Davis the, on Facebook with my sports blog, and people were asking me that year, about it. She got as high as she met Michelle Obama. They did a, a tour of her team, did a tour of the South, old ball field, sudden landmarks, and all of that after their, after their run. Wherever she is now, I hope she was even tasked to write an autobiography about it. Now, there's two ways to look at uh, There's two ways to look at it. And keep in mind, she's 13. And she got an autobiography deal. All right? I don't know whatever came of that, but, hey, she capitalized on that. All right? There's two ways to look at it. One, smart move by Fox. We're not just going to put a woman in, in baseball. We're going to put a black woman in baseball. Why? Look at what the rising demographic is when you look at Twitter, when, when you look at Facebook. It is this black girl nerd. Shout out to Jamie. All right, they're starting to make their voices known. They're starting to spread out everywhere. That's the demographic you want to get. Hey, scandals delayed, 
We got this show featuring a white, uh, a black female baseball player, the first ever. Let's slide it in there. Let's see if we can make the drama or we can make her story captivating enough to bring in and keep some of, of people of color who normally would not look at sports-related shows. Because, hey, if you're looking at scandal and how to get away with murder on those nights, that means you're looking at that and you're not looking at Thursday Night Football. You're looking at that, you're not paying attention to baseball. You're looking at that, you're not paying attention to anything else. So that's, that's job number one, which means, hey, uh, Mr. Fogelman, um, in that room, I hope you have a, a female writer or better yet, a black female writer in that room. Because you get her story wrong, having nothing to do with baseball, you get that story wrong, they are not only going to turn off their show, your show, they will get on Twitter and kill you. I'm just keeping it 100, man. They will get on and kill you, which means other black females will see that. And then they'll either peek to see what the other one was complaining about, and they'll kill you. All right? So the pressure's, on, the pressure's not on the actors here. The pressure's in that writing room to get this right. <laughs> uh, again, keeping it 100, keeping it totally real. Yo, you want to do something like this, you want to make it groundbreaking, we better be up in that room. <laughs> and, and the other thing is, hey, it's Fox. Again, it's Fox. You know, I mean, for, for as much wrong as I've had to say about Fox in certain areas, about how they treat sci-fi, about their handling of the X-Men franchise, and all of that, brilliant move, putting it on here. And putting it behind Rosewood, that has one of the biggest person of color audiences on regular TV right now. If you even get like a 50% follow, follow straight through Rosewood onto that show, then that show's doing okay. But again, I wish them luck because it's an interesting story. But we, we just, you just read the downside. Listen, folks, I, and I'm going to give you two, uh, two instances here. You can look them up. Look up Playmakers with ESPN. I know, I know Cap remembers that. All right? Playmakers, ESPN and NFL, they were both in on that. But when Playmakers got a little too real, the NFL went, hey, yank the show. I know you're a partner, but yank the show. You're making us look bad. And the other one, and this is, this is going to go way back, is Slapshot. The NHL was actually in on Slapshot in the beginning. And then they went, oh, this is too much of a comedy. We'll, we're going to step away. But you know what? You guys could, continue, you guys could show it in theaters. But this is just too much of a, a low-ball comedy for us. And what happened? Slapshot is a cult classic. It was Major League before Major League. Back to you, Afrinerd. All right, let's go to the captain. Captain, any thoughts on pitch, um, what this may mean? I mean, I, I, I'm actually looking at on a, diff, a lot of different levels of what pitch could mean. Uh, just like 24 had an African-American president in fiction, now you see that fiction is now fact. 
So um, who's to say that this is? I mean, this this is this is leading to something. <laughs> I just believe it. You know, I just believe it's going to lead to something. I, I think there's a lot of a lot of things. I'll let you. I'm going to give the mic to you, but I'll I'll unpack after you have your piece. But there's more to this, and I'm going to connect it to the Michelle Rodriguez controversy. As I said before, due to the solitonic math, long-winded diatribe, the women get stronger in the West eventually. The men get weaker. Okay? You just get, you know, reprimanded, remanded to sex toys. And that's what a lot of you want anyway, so so it's going to go down. So that what? Means, <laughs> that what? <laughs> that's what a lot of you want anyway, you know? You know? So it's going to go down. Now, anyway. <laughs> All right, I didn't imagine him beginning his stuff with that, but let, let's see where this goes. Okay. All right, now. I know what he's, I know what he's talking about. I have personal experience, but go ahead. Go ahead. Now, to the chauvinistic <laughs> males out there, to the chauvinistic males, some women can actually throw. No, they do not throw as fast as the men. But you do have women that can throw 81, 82. They can get in that range. You know, men, your 90s, some of the men 100, you know. Who knows what will happen 15, 20 years from now? <clears throat> As I said, due to the mathematics, is coming. So that this is possibly a potential future reality in respect to this. Now, before I get to the show, let's talk about baseball. Baseball's product is dwindling. You don't have enough blacks, so the, the sport is slow. It's slow. It is slow. It is slow. Okay? That's number one. The product is not as good. The best baseball that I think I've seen in the modern era outside of this is right after you had great pitchers like Mike Scott, Oil Can Boyd, Darryl Bean knows what I'm talking about, when they used to have their battles and everything else. After that was in the steroid era. Pass around the needle, take your pills, and let's get it going. Home runs every night, fascinating. Everyone was watching. Now, nothing. So they get in their boardroom and they say, okay, Let's just try this. Let's partner up. Let's just try this. See if it works. See if we can pull people who watch this and garner interest in actual baseball. <clears throat> Black women, women who are not, women as clearly and they say, they're really not into sports, but some women are. A lot of men are. You know, a lot of black people will be watching this also, too. Let's pull that in. Let's try to build something up. But just as Daryl said, with playmakers, the NFL pulled the move on ESPN because it got a little too real. I don't think baseball is really that strong as the NFL in respect to power. But if they're behind it, they can still pull a move. Now, mean, meaning which, pull out from it. And say, oh, you know, that's not representative of Major League Baseball. Yada, yada, yada. It doesn't go on. Come on. You're sexist like every other organization. You're a bunch of men. Let's call a spade a spade. <laughs> so stop it. <laughs> Truth be told. So, now, what I think will happen with this, it can go either way. It could be something that takes off, or it could be something that's totally trashed and the internet goes crazy because it's black and it's also a black woman as the picture. And they put it on the writers, just as Daryl B said, and they also put it on baseball. That's how it works. You know, that's just how it works. So we just have to see what happens. Am I really interested? 
Not really. But if it's really good, I'll go in. That's all. Back to you, Afro Nerd. <laughs> what was the sex toy part, man? What was that? About what was men, that? Men are becoming, men are becoming like just... Uh, yeah, yeah, because you know. the women become dominant. You know, what do they need you for? Just for a little sex toy. If they become dominant. You know, <laughs> that, that's it. Yeah. That, that's what it is. You yeah. know? Provide the sex, man. Get out of here. Beat it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to touch that. We'll have to do an Afro Nerd After Dark show. <laughs> Talk about that stuff. Anyway, folks, the call, the call the number is 646-915-9620. 646-915-9620. Um, so I was connecting this based on what um, what Captain and everyone has been talking about. There's a controversy with um, Michelle Rodriguez, who's no stranger to controversy. We know that the, the nerd community, the nerd blurred, nerds of color, everybody, nerds of color specifically weighed in on her for a number of reasons. One, she's a woman of color. She's of Dominican and Puerto Rican descent. And when asked... And to be fair, she was asked by TMZ about two years ago or something about uh, there was talk about her playing Green Lantern. Now, this is when I, I was kind of sort of in the middle of what she said because I don't think she made it, I don't think it was made clear, clear to her that there is a Green Lantern, especially now, there's, there's a Green Lantern that's of Latin descent who's a woman that she really would be perfect for. And she's played this kind of stuff before. But she, I think she took it, you know. Well, you know, this is this is another ch- another chance for uh, people of color to take over these these mostly white characters. And she said rather flippantly, "Why don't we just have characters of our own and stop take and stop taking white people's heroes away?" So that caused an eruption in cyberspace, and then she had to do. Somewhat of a Mia culpa. She had to do a little chicken George dance, and she she walked it back slightly. Even Yafet Koto, a legendary veteran actor, he had a similar response about, you know, we we kind of have to have our own infrastructure to portray our own characters, and and the whole race bending thing. He really he really wasn't down for that so much. Anyway, so now we're back again, and it's kind of sort of under similar circumstances. And, you know, Claire and I and all of us, we spoke about this before, I think on another case. And this is coming, this is, again, this is, this is going to be the next thing that, that no one really on this panel can relate to. But um, they're trying to make that connection. She has a film called Tomboy formerly called reassignment. And the way this thing is supposed to go, it as the lead character, she plays a a man that goes to through reassignment surgery to become a woman. So it's so you're already talking about a transgender story. So you know how this is going to end what this what this is doing. Uh last time we spoke about this, we spoke about um uh, who's the, the actor that plays the Hulk? Why am I beginning his name? Mark Ruffalo. Yes, thank you. Ruffalo got got into a, an issue with his forthcoming film because he has uh, an actor, a, a cisgender actor, 
and this is kind of, it's almost analogous. Uh, that actor from White Collar, who I also can't remember his name now, he is uh, gay, so he would be under that LBGTQ thing, under the umbrella, but he's quote-unquote cisgender, and these transgender folk didn't take kindly that Ruffalo has this gentleman playing a transgender character, a transgender character, where we're now seeing more transgender actors being able to do this kind of thing with more Matt authenticity. Bomer. Matt Bomer, thank you. So uh, here we go with this reassignment now called Tomboy, which might be an issue also for for, for, for that community. Um, I think she said something that uh, was kind of a similar thing. You know, this is this is yet another issue where um, you have an actor playing a transgender role, even though this is this is like a B movie kind of kind of kitschy kind of thing that they're doing. It's not really meant to be taken seriously per se, but regardless, the transgender the transgender community. Um, they're not taking kindly to this. So here we come Here we come up again. I, I'm a reminder of what the captain says. Is, when I was reading the article at the Mary Sue, his words were in the back of my head. This whole thing of self-importance. Everyone needs to have self-importance. So now these trans, transgender people are becoming vocal, just like everyone else is vocal about their respective group. So what are your, what are your, your thoughts about – I'm trying to find out exactly – Okay, I think she, what she said here on Twitter. Twitter is, is, can be a problem. She says, I like the original title, Reassignment. No, so I like the original title. Reassignment is a stupid title for a movie. Hope you guys find it interesting either way. So I guess, you know what, okay, I think it's called, yeah, I think it's called Reassignment. And it was formerly called Tomboy. So be, because she said she liked the original title, Tomboy, uh, and now that it's called reassignment, which I guess is a double entendre, because this because the character is playing like some kind of uh, agent that goes through this goes through this transformation. So it's like a reassignment, but you're also being a, it's also gender reassignment. Um, when she said tomboy, she preferred more than reassignment. That caused a problem. Uh, man. I bring this up because this this is this is becoming this is going to be the new world order. Everything's going to be broken down. I even thought about uh, about the Academy Awards or, or or all award shows. There's got to be a point where they're going to they're going to stop having best male actor, best female actor. Is this going to be best actor? I mean, it's, it's, it would have to be that way, wouldn't it? If we're having these kind of discussions. You're go going to, go way to, far into the future here on this one. No, I'm not right? that far. It, Listen, we already, it's not, we're already dealing with ba- uh, basement. Uh, ba- uh, pardon me, um, bathrooms. Uh, well, so hey, we're going I, down. hey, I'm looking. I'm looking at. I'm looking at her comments here or her comment there, and I go like she's a hypocrite. You know, she she, she made the statement she did about about the Green Lantern, regardless. If she knew or didn't know, which obviously she didn't know, she made those comments. So what did I say back at the time? Okay, so from now on, Michelle, 
every role I see you take, it has to be slotted for like a Latina female, right? Every role. Uh, you can't slip from it because once you put yourself out there that this is what we should be doing, then you can't take a role that's against that, all right? So now you're going to take this role, which uh, by all honesty should be to a person of trans persuasion since they can play both sides of the fence. And you're going to be in this role, and then you're going to make this comment on Twitter, which the, the, the comment is harmless. I'm thinking she's just pull, pulling a joke, and she's just saying, I feel more comfortable with this being the title of it. But the problem is, and I've said this before, anything you say now in public lives forever. There will be somebody that disagrees with you that will remember that comment you made and hold all of your actions in the future against what you have said. Okay, and and without doing a public mea culpa, she did a mea culpa on that, that prior one, but who really saw the mea culpa, you know, without really doing a, 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 a mea culpa to go like, oh, okay, now I get what she was saying, and uh, she's more open-minded now. Or so, no one saw it. If, if someone saw the mea culpa to the first statement, then this isn't news. Stars out there. Fellow podcasters, bloggers, writers. Yeah, you you need to watch out now. Go ahead, Claire. Now, I'm just saying, regardless of whatever, I mean, I understand that it's because, as you mentioned, that she's no stranger to controversy, that people always feel like they have to, you know, really scrutinize every single thing that she says and does. But if you really look at what's in front of you, you know, there is nothing wrong with what she said. I don't. I'm, I don't understand. How is that offensive? You say that you prefer <laughs> another title as opposed to this title. Okay, I got it. You know what, honey? I agree. I kind of agree with you. I think that maybe it is a better title, and I think that reassignment, trying to you know play up that you know either double entendre or that you know double meaning. I, you're right. I kind of think that is stupid. So I get where you're coming from. I don't understand why this is news. I don't understand why this is a problem. The issue is, okay, this is a woman who has never really come out and said, regardless of whether she's, you know, gay or bi or whatever, but that should be the quote-unquote issue, supposedly, right? You get on Matt Bomer's ass saying, oh, well, you're gay, but you're not trans. So you're the wrong letter in the LGBT umbrella. You shouldn't be playing this character. You should get an actual trans actor to do so. That should be the same stance for which you come after her. You should say, no, Michelle, you're not one of us. You're either, you know, bi or gay or whatever, whatever, but you're not a transgendered actor, so therefore you should not be representing us. That should be the issue. That should be the, 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 the problem. Not some stupid tweet that has nothing to do with anything. She's just talking about a title and her preference. This is so stupid. Now, in terms of why people are coming after her, okay, I got it. 
I got it. I have told you guys on more than one occasion that I recall very clearly what she said. Now, personally, I didn't realize it had anything to do with somebody coming at her like, oh, well, you should play Green Lantern and blah, 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 blah. I thought that it was just an offhanded comment in response to to characters being, you know, gender or racially flipped or bent or whatever, such as Michael B. Jordan as Human Torch or Jason Momoa as Aquaman. I didn't realize it was in response to someone asking her what she thought of playing Green Lantern. So, yes, I recall very clearly when she said that people of color, you know, need to come up with our own characters and stop stealing the white people characters. I remember that very well. Now, I'm not going to hold it against her so much because I know the way she talks is a little bit rough, okay? I know the way she acts is a little a little out there for some folks. You know, perhaps she's not as um, refined or, you know, she's a little uncouth, whatever. Not I tactful. get it. She's, you know, I, yeah, she, she's not the most tact, tactful, you know, person or eloquent in the way she presents herself, but why am I going to get angry with her when I have heard the exact same sentiment, only more cleanly and polished, you know, in expression from other people? And they have come at me with that, and I, I understand where they're coming from because we, you know, we present our side of it in terms of how we feel. She's not the first person to say that. White or of color. She is not the first person to say that we need to come up with our own characters and not rely so heavily on, you know, gender or racially flipping established legacy white characters. She's not the first person to say that. She won't be the last. So I'm not going to get all mad and and feel like, oh, well, I'm never going to forgive you. I mean, I know how she is. Like, she's rough. She's a little rough around the edges, you know, so... People have a have a tendency to hear the tone instead of the actual words and the sentiment behind it. So I don't understand why this, in particular, I have not read the Mary Sue article of what you're, you know, referencing, but specifically, I don't understand why people are all up in arms about a couple tweets regarding a title. How the hell is that controversial? Who cares? If you're going to come at it with, oh, yeah, well, just like with Matt Bomer, she's not trans, this isn't right, we're not being uh, correctly or fairly or properly represented, okay, fine, fine. But because she preferred tomboy as opposed to reassignment, please, please. I got to mention this. Can I interject? Sure. All right, this is what I wanted, I wanted to say that. See, Holly, Hollywood <clears throat> has these equations, or should I say formulas, and it probably works 65% of the time. 35% of the time, it does not work. And then 65% of the time that it does work, it makes up for the bottom line losses, such as gods of Egypt and things of that nature. Now, let me just run down something really quick. You look at someone like Tom Hardy versus Chris Pratt. Tom Hardy, Matt, Mr. Mad Max, Chris Pratt, Jurassic World. To me, Tom Hardy is a better actor. 
Chris Pratt is good, but Tom Hardy, to me, is that good. Now, Mad Max, $378 million worldwide. Eh, Chris Pratt, Jurassic World, $1.6 billion. So if you have a project, even though Tom Hardy might be better for the cast, you turn around and say, you look at the pre-sales, if we can get Chris Pratt, these are what the numbers are. We get Tom Hardy, this is what the numbers are. But it might be a better movie with Tom Hardy. So this is what they're doing. Now, you go back, transgender actor who's not really known versus someone that can play transgender. They look at the numbers and they say, okay, we got to go with this actor or actress to play this role. Also, there's another aspect that's not well known by the listening audience. Sometimes you can't get insurance for certain movies with certain actors going in there. They won't insure it. That's all part of the politics. That's just the way it's set up. Now, 65% of the time, I would say they get it right. 35%, garbage. It's out of here. That's where you get a gods of Egypt. And probably the movie, was it The Great War with Matt Damon? It's probably going to be garbage, too. Probably no one's going to see that either. You know, I find it offensive already, but you never know. That's the thing that they're looking at. Now, also, too, we're living in a time where every Everything is a problem. I agree with Claire said what she absolutely said. But everything's a problem, and this is what I this is this goes back to what I said before, and Afflener alluded to with the self-importance. Everything is a problem. Everything. You could say something that's totally correct, but it's coming from you, and you're not that type of person. Well, you're 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 the white person talking about black issues, but what the white person said is correct. That's a problem. <laughs> you gave your opinion, vice versa. If it's a woman talking about male, oh, the other, yeah, but I don't want to hear it coming from her. You're a heterosexual male talking about transgender issues, and this person likes this person or likes this or whatever they like. You can't speak about it. That's where we are at this given time. So everything is a problem at this given time. And it's totally stupid based on what she said. You know, it's just totally stupid <laughs> at this given juncture of time. That's just what I wanted to add, Afro. Go ahead. Back over to you, sir. Yeah, well, I'm not going to stay on this for too long, but I, I just wanted to just give you a, a clue as to what is I perceive going to be uh, a greater argument in the future. Because it's, it keeps on building and building and building. And you have other communities that, that have what one could say is, is a like-minded like-minded grace. Now, this the same article actually made reference to a Josh, Josh Whedon making a similar mistake uh, the way that Michelle Rodriguez did. And it seems to be these innocuous things that no one, quote-unquote, cisgender, a word I detest, these, these post-2008 words that are coming from... What does it from mean social- exactly? Cisgender is just another term for straight. Now, I shouldn't even say that. It's not even, it's not even straight, actually. It means uh, matching your sex with your gender. Like, in other words, Matt Bomer is cisgender, even though he's gay. So, in other, so he, he is, he is, a, he is a, a, a biological male and identifies as male. So this is, I'm, lear, I'm, I'm learning this goofy stuff now. 
You so he's guy, gay. You can't call him a guy. Millennials. Blame the millennials. This is nonsense, y'all. Okay, just come on. Come on. Are you telling me that they came up with a new word? A new word to describe everybody who is not trans? Who what? is born you know biologically this? with a vagina or born biologically with a penis? Like, what? L- listen. What? Listen. L- let me finish this thing with this Joss Whedon thing. You'll get what I'm talking about. Joss Whedon, he's not on Twitter anymore for this particular reason. This is like two years ago, just like what Michelle Rodriguez did. A fan asked him, I'm reading it verbatim here. She asked him on Twitter, uh, any advice on writing strong female leads in a comic? Now, anybody who knows Joss Whedon, Joss Whedon has had a penchant for writing strong female characters. Uh, Buffy Except comes for to Age mind, of Ultron, but okay. Right. So, uh, he responds and says, must value hashtag strength, but also hashtag community, and not have peeny slash balls. So, again, he's like all of us. He responded to someone asking about women. Like, uh, how would you write a strong female character? He says, Make her strong. Don't have, don't don't. Let's not have her have male genitalia. Well, <laughs> in 2016, in theory, a female could have male genitalia. Hence, the transgender community, and they laid waste to Mr. Wheaton so much so that he had to, he had to get out of out of uh, off of Twitter. So, so you're that, telling me that it wasn't the angry feminist pissed off about Black Widow that ran him off social media, no. that it was the trans community? Yes. Why yes. is that no one never knew that? We did. We laughed about it. We we we, we laughed about it that, that uh, A, no one stuck up for him, all right, uh, and and he tried. But no one stuck up for him like we what we saw with the white co-stars to Leslie Jones. No one stuck up for her, all right? It was it was uh, black people, other actors that stuck up for her, but her co-stars didn't, all right? That was A. And B, so you run off the guy who's been the closest thing to giving you such strength and diversity in movies that we've gotten. One comment. Ran him off. Well, let me read this from the Mary Sue. This is what it says right right after uh, this exchange on Twitter. The transgender community, transgender, the transgender community, many of whom are fans of Whedon's, reached out to him expressing their anger and pain concerning his response, as if there were no such thing as women with penises and balls, as if transgender women didn't exist. And, and and as if those women aren't worthy of being counted as women or capable of being strong. It pointed to a huge blind spot of his, as he likely wasn't even taking transgender people into account when he said that. That's basically the problem. It's likely, uh, it likely didn't even occur to him. That's how invisible trans people are when they aren't being used as punchlines, sob stories, or oddities in film and TV. 
So when was that written? Well, uh, well, this right here is commenting on uh, this is a few days ago in in the Mary Sue. Oh, so it's tied in with the Michelle Rodriguez thing. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, all of this together. No, I'm saying all of this is together. Mary Sue is giving you essentially a timeline that the, the first couple of paragraphs are actually talking about Josh Whedon. Then they then they segue into Michelle Rodriguez. Okay, well that's that's enlightening. That's new information for me because I was under the impression that it was angry feminists who ran him off. But okay, so. Now I have this new piece of information. Well, well, in theory, they are angry feminists. This is what I'm getting at. The line is blurred. Not I wasn't blurred. talking about. I didn't know about the comments. I didn't even know about the comments. I'm talking. I didn't. I'm clearly. He thought he was being cute. He thought that he was being funny or clever or dry. Can't witty, do that. Whatever. But, but I was talking about specifically Age of Ultron because this all happened literally as Age of Ultron was released, and a lot of people were upset, including myself, about Black Widow's portrayal. So that's what I thought that, you know, led to him exiting Twitter. But uh, this is new information for me. I, you know, listen, I do believe that everyone deserves a fair shake at representation, at being able to see themselves, you know, in the media, in movies, in television, in in all these different stories that we that we digest and absorb because again it's all about feeling as though you exist you have some validity or worth you know in this world so i i get that i understand that but if i'm perfectly honest with you and maybe this kind of carries over from some of the sentiment that i had in previous discussions when you mentioned Matt Bomer and that whole you know situation i'm just I understand their frustration, and believe me, believe me, I know what it feels like to feel invisible and to feel like what few opportunities you or your kind have to be seen are given to other people who are not representative of your kind. I understand that fully. But let me tell you, I'm at the point now where I feel like my my bleeding heart has been just gushing for so long that it's fully exsanguinated. I barely have any more, you know, any more drops left. You know, I have barely any more to 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 give in terms of feeling for all those who suffer a plight of some sort, similar or dissimilar to my own. I'm at the point now where it's like, as selfish as this may seem, I'm just kind of like, well, who else has a problem? Who else has something to complain about? Because let me tell you, I'm, I'm at the point of complete overload. Complete and utter overload. I can barely handle thinking about the stuff that pisses me off. I mean, if I could give friendly advice to someone like the director of Doctor Strange or the folks over for, you know, handling Ghost in the Shell or the folks handling The Great Wall, 
if I could give some friendly advice, I would tell them to shut your mouth. Stop talking. Stop backpedaling. Stop trying to justify your decision. Stop coming up with new excuses as to why you chose to erase an Asian character. Oh, it's okay, because originally I wasn't going to have Wong, but then because I flipped the ancient one, then I decided to bring Wong back to keep everything fair and balanced. Okay, shut your mouth. Just stop talking, because you're only making it worse. So, in fact, I would say that for for Michelle or Matt Bomer, Mark Ruffalo, or anybody involved with this situation, I would say, I would say that you don't got to run off Twitter like Whedon, but I would say just keep your mouth shut. Don't keep apologizing. Don't keep backpedaling. Don't keep doing this, that, and the other, because, unfortunately, it rings the same hollow sense of, you know, meaning or progress as an apology from Cameron Crowe who said, oh, I'm so sorry for casting Emma Stone as an Asian in Aloha. Oh, I'm sorry. I had no idea that that would offend you. See, that apology is stupid, and it makes you look like an idiot. So better to just keep your mouth shut. Take the notes. Take the critiques. Understand why they're saying what they're saying and why they're upset. If you want, try to learn from it. Make better decisions. Be more careful about how you, you know, talk or how you present yourself. But other than that, I'm. I, there's, well, I there's, I too gotta, I gotta, there's too much. There's too much. Trying to reinvent the wheel here. I'm I tired. Got a better of idea. I mean, technically, I got a, this is I my generation. But I'm sick of millennials. I'm sick of everybody. I got a better idea, and then we'll move along. <laughs> Uh, all of this could be rectified if these folks, if they're going to actually do a project that involves an Asian woman or an Asian male or an Asian transgender <laughs> or a black transgender or whatever, if you're going to do these movies and you're going to set the premise up with that type of character, it would make sense to actually get some kind of um, folks that as, as consultants, if not actors, to smooth this stuff over. I mean, that just would make sense because, listen, w- w- even with this Riri Williams character for for Iron Man, uh, or whatever, whatever, whatever minority or or protected class group you choose, it, even if it's a woman, whatever it is, it, we are getting to the point now where you just can't have the superficiality of. Of, of a person or, or, or a symbol of that person and not have somebody in the background who can speak authentically to the character. Because not everything is people want, want real entertainment and they want some, something to give the impression that the fourth wall is broken, that they, that they feel like this person is, is real about it, that it's not wholesale acting, that, it, that there's something that somehow you can connect to the character. Now, sometimes you may have an actor that can really do this, and, he, and he's not of that community. But I think we're getting to the point now, we're going to have to need to have these characters. Because even when you see all these black characters and brown folk and all these other uh, uh, Asian people, when they're getting, getting these roles and you don't hear, or, or, or whether it's a comic book or whatever the project is, and you don't hear 
that there's that there really isn't a commensurate creative situation in the background going on, you know it's going to suck. That's what that's what they should really be doing to avoid all of this, but they're not doing it. And I, I, I listen. I will confess, I don't know anything about this transgender stuff. I know parts of it, you know, with all the, all the different categories and uh, going back to what Captain said with the, this need for self-importance, this stuff is starting to really ring very true to life. And it's going to have a, a effects on all of us in some way. The bathrooms are going to have to change. Uh, that's already happening. Uh, the, the fact that we have, if, if you have a portrayal of a woman playing Major League Baseball, it could even deconstruct sports, really. Why have why have male and female sports if if, if gender is not binary anymore? There's but, a lot of implications. You have but, you have, um, and, and Daryl can speak to this. In the MMA, I believe there's a transgender woman who who fights like bi- biological women. Is yes. that correct? Yes. And people are bitching and moaning because you have a transgender woman. Who still has man strength overpowering biological women? Is that correct? Yes, I believe it's well, um, uh, well, not one of the major MMA leagues, you know, at least not who, yet. Who wouldn't? Who wouldn't know this? Who wouldn't know this? But and I, I don't know. I, and, there's, there's, and one more thing: there's okay. a contingent of women, biological women, who feel like, well, the transgender woman can't speak to them. Like this whole need to be put under an umbrella, like. Like it, it, this is this is a lot. This is almost like a Wednesday show. But there's a lot to get in, to, to unpack with this. That's going to affect media and entertainment. A lot of things are going to be deconstructed, and either this, you're going to you're going to fight this, or you're going to you're going to um, capitulate to it. But again, why have an Academy Award and have best female best best female actress, or I should say best actress. What is that going to mean? Best actor. This have, I mean, Meryl Streep should be competing with Denzel Washington on the same category then. Gotta really? do it. Like they would put Denzel in the category where he's in a bad guy? Where, well, they, where, where they would they get rid of all of his uplifting roles and only when he's, but, but that, he, you know... But, but that's what's at stake. Like, like, why, why, why are you, you're, you're seeing the society's going to change. When Claire was unfamiliar with cisgender, and I'm going to mention this one thing. And we're going to move along. Um, many of the Ivy League schools received instructions. That their professors received instructions that uh, when these incoming students, these incoming matriculating students came in, they were given instructions as to how to refer to them. And there were like a hundred different ways to refer to someone beyond Mr. and Ms. You have yours now. One person called yours. I mean, it's, it is a whole new world that I don't have the, the, the gumption to, 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 to learn. There's a hundred different descriptors for people now based on gender. That's okay. I'll stick with sir and ma'am. That keeps it you're gonna, you're gonna simple. You're going to somebody. I mean, hey, if I have said somebody, I'll go like this. Hey, dude, you're wearing a dress. Sorry. Okay. (laughs) Hey, ma'am, you got facial hair. Sorry. (laughs) 
But I will say this, too. You brought up Riri Williams, and I'll say this and leave this real quick, all right? I put up the picture on Twitter, all right? The people that are mad at Bendis about writing a black female character, if you weren't paying attention this week, he wrote a scene with Sam Alexander, Carmella Khan, and, and Miles Morales which was touching and heartfelt. But if he isn't allowed to write characters of color anymore, that would be very homogeneous, where it would only be white people in it. And it would not have had the effect that that scene had. All right? There, there's, a, there's a thin line here that you get to, whereas Bendis is the one that created the character, but you're getting mad at him for writing the character. I don't see how that works. Now, well, let me let me clarify, let me clarify this. You, you have I have listen. We applaud Bendis for for coming up with Miles and the gang. Okay, he 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 came up with the with the idea. I believe because he has a adopted um, Afro Latino children, so that brings home for him. It has to be applauded. And I would never say that a white person can't write a character of color. All I'm saying is. We do have to acknowledge that, that that has been such a long-standing history, and, and it has been the, the industry standard for so long that when all these characters are, are created from white minds, when you actually start to go back into the archives, they re, they, they they come off a little awkward, and you're starting to, you're starting to see the awkwardness when someone who isn't of that ethnicity starts to write this stuff again. It's like the transgender folks are complaining about, well, you're going to do a transgender story without, without any transgender people involved in the creative process. You know, it would be, it would be interesting to have an Apoor Richardson write a Riri Williams, considering that she's a black woman with kinky hair. Oh, she can okay. talk about it. There's going to be little, there's little, little garnishes that someone's going to want to see. If the, let's say... We're going to talk. We're going to have our resident woman of color on our show, Claire Lene, of Vietnamese descent. If she were to read a comic character of her culture, and they threw in a threw in a a a, a dish of uh, a food, a cuisine, a little a little insider thing, it it means a lot. When I would see a black character, and it, all of a sudden something, some cornbread reference or something crazy went down. I'm like, oh, okay. This is it, it. It gives you a sense of of glee. I can't explain, but it it, it rings more true to you. If but, if, um, but, if a Jewish person, wait, when Ben Grimm, we found out years later, Ben Grimm the thing was Jewish, and you saw him wear a yarmulke at one time, and he did. Some, I think he he did something that was 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 a, a he participated in some kind of Jewish uh, event. Forgot what it was. He went back to Yancey Street something. But even I, as a black man, can kind of relate to that because I'm like, well, that's kind of cool because it's not just play for straight. You're going to have to have black folks, brown folks, yellow folks, Native Americans involved behind the scenes. The white people are are, are creating these characters for who? All right, for but who? but here's the thing: everybody got so mad about Bendis doing it, and 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 I'm going to tie this into when we get to Nighthawk later. All right. Everybody got so mad about Bendis doing this with this character. I asked one question back then. I'm still asking a question. Where has Bendis, other than the name, because I hate Riri, 
Where has been this messed up with the character? I've asked people to give me examples. Where exactly has he messed up? Where, oh, he, he shouldn't be allowed to write this character anymore. And I've yet to get a response. Just think about that. All right, let's move on. Mike Dynamo references, I forgot about that, that Kitty Pryde was Jewish. Yep, Kitty Pryde's um, Jewish. She even goes into, uh, again, Bendis goes into a great diatribe in all new X-Men about when Havoc makes the mention, I don't want to hear the mutant name anymore. I don't want to hear. She goes into a great story about, excuse me, I'm Kitty Pryde. I'm Jewish. I'm a mutant. You guys can deal with it. And it's I, Bendis. Bendis wrote that. Well, well, listen, well, listen, I like Bendis too, Dad. I'm not hating on Bendis specifically. I'm just saying that. No, no. Yeah, but, he created, at some but, point, we're going to want to see folks behind the scenes writing this stuff because it's it's so long since. The, look what, what 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 white people originally gave you. They gave you okay. characters like Whitewash. Okay. Okay. I mean, you, and, and, and you leave I'm things not, in the white folks' hands to write. You let white folks write your story. It ain't gonna be a good one. And I'm not hating on that. I'm not. I'm not. I'm saying your points are valid. But but with the the instant these people attack Bendis about doing this, okay? I asked where has he messed up, okay? All right. Uh, we're getting great stuff out of Black Panther. We had great stuff with Nighthawk, and uh, uh, immediately you're hearing the, how my tone is beginning to change because a lot of these same people that hated that Bendis came up with Riri Williams, that hated that, I expected to go out and support Nighthawk. All right? So, so like I said, this is going to come to a head, but I have asked for the instant. I ask it again, and I know I have listeners out there that love arguing with me on this. Give me the panel. Give me where he has messed up, where you say he shouldn't be fit to write this character. Listen, I, I agree with I, you. For, I for think we can all agree. We can all agree on one thing. It would be nice. It would be nice if the behind-the-scenes creative team that develops these movies, comic books, and other properties not only, you know, included characters of color or ethnically diverse backgrounds, but if they were themselves able to imbibe some sort of authentic... Cultural connection. Yes. Well, I think we could all agree that that would be much appreciated and exciting to see more of. Nothing against Bendis and nothing against any white folk that have written and created characters of color because, obviously, that's pretty much been the case for how many decades. So I'm not saying that a white person is incapable of putting in, you know, any sort of any sort of quality storytelling, you know, when when incorporating diverse characters into their into their material or their content, I'm just saying that it'd be nice if we could all truly see ourselves. Because you're right, I was reading an article about this, and it does mean something. It is significant whenever you're able to see part of yourself. Not just the physical traits, the skin tone, the hair, texture, whatever, the shape of your eyes, nothing, not, not just the physical traits, but truly if a character is able to capture 
similar experiences that you yourself have, you know, shared or or have gone through within your life, I mean, it means something. It means a lot. And so I'm, I just want to make sure I reiterate this because I don't want it to seem like, you know, F, F your problems, okay? F your problems, transgendered folks. I mean, I got my issues to deal with. I don't want to sound like that because I'm sure it does because I am frustrated. I am immensely frustrated. And sometimes I can't help it. I can't help but have this knee-jerk emotional reflex that tells me, well, wait a second, we're on this now? All of a sudden, this, another problem and another problem? Y'all got problems? Well, what about this issue that I've been complaining about, that hundreds of people have been complaining about incessantly for how long? I mean, hundreds, millions, I don't know. But you, you know what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying. I mean, we're all worried about being left behind. We're all worried about not getting a piece of the table, a piece of the pie, you know, some sort of representation. Nobody wants to feel invisible. I get that. But at the same time, I'm just in dissecting some of these grievances. I'm, I, I can't help it. Sometimes I kind of feel like, whoa, okay. You know, I want to tell one side, let's pick our battles, calm down, not freak out about every little thing, especially since you haven't even seen the movie. And then on the other hand, I want to tell the other side, okay, you kind of effed up on this one. Okay, you, you, you could have cast someone that actually could authentically play this role, but don't backpedal. What's done is done. What's done is done. Please stop trying to justify, stop trying to go back on why you did this and why you did that, because I'm telling you, every time people do that, it just makes it worse. They just keep digging themselves in a deeper hole. We've seen it happen many a time, and it's going to continue to happen with movies that have yet to be released. But that's my issue with all of this in, in general, is that when people are so quick to attack, you know, I mean, I was like, why are people, you know, harassing a 19-year-old girl, you know, Zendaya? Why are you coming after her a year before the movie comes out? I mean, this we, is crazy. This we, is we crazy. We gotta go to a groove, but that's almost like a reverse of what we just discussed with, with white folks saying that they they want to see the redheaded white Mary Jane Watson. Yep. Hey, like I said, there is no easy answers here. All right. It, there, there is there one. Were easy there is answers. one. There no. is one. The, the, well, let me finish. The, the counter to that, though, is that Mary Jane Watson and everybody else, for time immemorial, has always been white. If white, white can't be the template, if, if colored, those are the same people that will tell you color doesn't matter, and yet that color always ends up being Caucasian. Mm-hmm. So, then it, so that, that's what's at issue. We wouldn't have to go through this if, if uh, there wasn't a kind of programming and a mainstreaming for everything, that Mary Jane Watson has to represent everybody because you weren't willing to, to, to expand the palette. That every time there was rep time for uh, the hero or the villain or whatever you were doing, whatever the project was, and your audience is multiracial, the template you use is always white. That is why folks can go in and say, well, this time we've got to make her 
uh, a woman of color, a black woman, because uh, three or four times preceding that, and in every and in every iteration, she's been she's been white. <laughs> so the one time we're gonna do it, forty three presidents were white, the forty fourth one was black, and they didn't like that either. Well, you got five movies, five five Spider Man movies, okay? So at some point. Sony, now finally under, you know, the creative control of Marvel, they're kind of like, oh, yeah, you know what? We're still not going to give you Miles Morales, but as a compromise, we'll make the supporting cast very diverse. Everything is compromised, everything. And, again, in terms of the same excuse as to why people are cast not necessarily in the most authentic fashion is because... And Cap just hit it on the head because to Hollywood, it is more important to have a name attached than to cast, quote-unquote, authentically. Accurately, yeah. All right, let's go to this quick groove, um, and then we get back. I want to we go. I want to talk about – we still have a lot to discuss. we got about 40 minutes remaining. We have um, – I want to talk about Dark Matter, the, the season finale. I, I do want to talk about Nighthawk. And speaking about self-importance and name recognition, Margot Robbie appears to be getting her Harley Quinn solo movie after all. So we'll talk about that. This is The Suffers, Daryl. I think we saw them at mm-hmm. Afropunk. This is Dutch by The Suffers. We'll be right back. Let's groove. <laughs> Even in my deep pain, 
Okay, we're back. The Suffers. Dutch. You checked them out at Afropunk a couple of weeks ago, folks. This is the Grindhouse edition of Afronerd featuring the gang, the, the legion of superheroes crew, Daryl B., the uncanny Daryl B., left coast Claire Lene, yours truly, D. Burke, of course, Captain J.T. Kirk. The call in number remains the same, 646-915-9620, 646-915-9620. I see quite a few calls on our board. If you'd like to actually join in on our discourse, um, just simply press 1. That way we know that you want to join in. So press 1. If not, feel free to continue listening. Um, before the break, we were talking about a lot of stuff, representation always at the, at the, the heel of it, um, turning things around a little bit. Let's get into Harley Quinn, actually, Margot Robbie. Um, Harley Quinn is an interesting character because she came out from the Dini-verse, Tim-verse, Bruce Tim, Paul Dini, the early 90s animated cartoon, actually. Uh, it became so popular that she ended up getting into print mythology, and hence we are 2016, and we see, well, actually I could say, in a way, she was in Arrow as the voice, Harley Quinn, but the physical actress, uh, she was in, you have to call it a hit now, Suicide Squad, over $700 million. Uh, Margot, Margot Robbie loves the character, and it's been hinted that they're looking at doing a solo film. I thought it was just something that was said as a goof, but I think when those numbers came in, it looks like it's going to be a thing. Um, I, I, have, oh, <laughs> I have no idea where to take this. Um, Daryl, what are your thoughts about Margot Robbie doing a, a Harley Quinn film? I mean, it's, I guess it could be good. If you, anything could be good if you get the right people and do it the right way, which the DCEU doesn't seem to be able to do. Really? But, this, this is as much of a problem we have with, with uh, Jennifer Lawrence as Mystique. I look at it the same way. This is a Margot Robbie film. This isn't a film about Harley Quinn. This is a film we're going to capitalize on Margot Robbie's star power. All right? Because give me, give me her, her full gallery outside of Batman. Yeah, can't think of one, can you? All right. Uh, who is going to be her major protagonist? Yeah, can't think of one, can you? You see, Harlequin is a good character, but is she a character to sustain her own movie? I don't think so. All right. At least, I, and I'll, I'll go here, and I know people will shout at me. and get, At least with Black Widow. She doesn't have a protagonist, but you know... Spy game, working for S.H.I.E.L.D., she could be on a mission. It could be like a James Bond-type film, all right? When it comes to Harley Quinn, she's uh, an intelligent lunatic. You're going to make a film like that. Good for you. Back to you, Afrener. Claire, any thoughts about this? Are you intrigued? Well, I mean, first and foremost, Daryl nailed it. It's the same nonsense we, you know, we all know about this whole, you know, supposed mystique spinoff. 
this, oh, we God. don't from the get go. From the get go, if if that ever takes off, it's not Mystique. This is not the character Mystique. It hasn't been for quite some time. It's a it's Hunger Games 2.0. Because Jennifer Lawrence is the it girl, and so with Margot Robbie, while I did enjoy her as Harlequin, and while I have heard rumors that this could be an opportunity for them to do. Um, Oh, what's it called? Is it is it Birds of Prey? Yeah, Birds um, of Prey. You know, which Harley Quinn other. isn't a part of. I know, I know. So why all of a sudden are you going to, you know, tell us that there might be a possibility of putting in all these other DC female, you know, villains and heroes and whatnot and what? I, I mean, it is what it is. We'll see. Whatever. I mean, I'm okay with her. I'm okay with Margot Robbie. I am. I, I actually do think she's a, a talented actress. Um, I don't know about sitting through a full feature-length movie with with her, you know. I'm talking about Mr. J. Mr. J. You know, I don't know if I could deal with that for a whole movie. Look at her person. Um, <laughs> you know. Good impersonation, Claire. Go ahead. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. That was good. Um, we'll see. I mean, it's nice to, to hear about these these actors, especially, you know, women who are trying to take charge and be, because like I said, she's not only starring, but she will be executive producing the project. Um, so good for her. Okay. We'll just leave it at that. Good for her. I, I'm going to go in a different direction slightly. Uh it's still critical, though. You know, listen, you're you're not allowed to actually have uh, comparisons with Marvel. You know, DC people. Even though I don't consider myself Marvel or DC, I don't really do that. I'm a, I'm a fanboy that likes that really imbibes in all of this. And I wanted I, I was invested in DC winning and hoping that DC would win because it's all product. It's all all it's all the same thing to me. It would keep me going for the entire year. I mean, if, if you had great DC product and great Marvel product and great Image product and all these other IPs, it would just be the it would be the gangbusters. It would be no big deal. But when something sucks, it sucks. Um, the way I see Marvel, Marvel has just created a better mechanism to explore some of this other stuff. Um, I don't know why D- the DCEU really doesn't have a mechanism like Netflix per se. I don't know if CW, the CW would be um, the, the greatest. Well, it can't be because they have these separate universes. Um, if there were to be a Black Widow film, well, you got you have Scarlett Johansson, so she's you know she's a, an A-list actress, so they're willing to give her a gig anyway. But she could go to Netflix and do a kick-ass spy thriller that people would watch. You know, there would be enough gristle to use for for a story. Um, you could probably do a Harley Quinn story. You know, uh, but as, like if it was under under certain circumstances, if you had a, a Harley Quinn arc on Amazon, I could see that, or on Netflix. You know, I don't know how that works. I mean, I don't know if Marvel has, like, sole Netflix rights like that. Uh, it would be cool to see a DC Netflix situation. But the CW isn't really 
can't really be used to that. I mean, we see now that Black Black Lightning will go to Fox, so they they don't see they do not seem to have the discipline and the mechanism that they were going to actually explore these singular one-off characters because they can be made interesting. But this, but a movie is a little different than like a Netflix arc, believe it or not. Even though Netflix has potentially 13 episodes to actually explore the character, you might be able to really get into the the, the inner workings of a Harley Quinn when she was Harley Quinn Quinzel and she was this, this psychologist or psychiatrist and then she goes to the dark side. If you actually explored that as an arc, I might be more interested in that. And it might give more chops to someone like Margot Robbie, but if you're just going to do, let's just rush, 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 like what DC seems to be very well, very good at doing, just throw it up against the wall and let's, like, let's just get into it. You know, let's get these sponsors going. We have Cadillac to sell. That's going to be, that, that's what I think is really going on here. Cap, any thoughts? Margot Robbie, solo film? Uh-oh. Cap? I don't know. I think Cap, I don't know, you know, he might have, Cap might have actually left. Believe it or not, I think he said he was going going at eight. Uh, all right. He might have. All right. I just think that, you know, whenever you're in such a hurry to expand your franchise, you're going to run into these problems. I mean, that's why Gambit is, oh. you know, a joke. I mean, it is a joke now because oh yeah, we got Channing Tatum and we got so and so and we to yeah do what? okay to do and what? what and what you lost two directors, you have no script, and you're basically almost two years behind schedule. So, so much for that announcement. And then even with Hellfire, Hellfire, they were thought yeah we're gonna do Legion and Hellfire and we're really gonna try to build this. Uh, tentative TV relationship between Fox and Marvel. And then Hellfire, they once they really started examining it, they said, you know what, this is not something that we're able to construct as of right now in a serial format. So we'll go forward with Legion, and then we're going to do something else instead, you know, down the line. But that's what I'm saying. When you rush, 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 and you are so quick to just, you know, tell everybody, like, hey, this is what we're doing, but you don't have any sort of plan of development, you know, into how you want to move forward with, the, with these, these characters or how, you know, how are you going to make this into 13 episodes or perhaps if network maybe, hell, 20 episodes? I mean, you – this is what happens. This is what happens. You're going to have a gambit. You're going to have a hellfire club. You know, you're just – it's gonna it's gonna fall to the wayside. Nothing's gonna come of it. Well, well Daryl, didn't they have like a gambit, um, like one off, like a four part kind of thing going on? Well, are you talking about comic book? Yeah, comic books. Well, yeah, he's had several series. Hell, he's returned again in the pages of Uncanny Avengers. I mean, the character, like him or not, there is a popularity and a fan base for the character. The problem is. Is that popularity and fan base big enough to sustain a movie? And and uh, the, listen, well, I'm not even sure about it, but all of these faults starts certainly aren't helping. 
let's put it that way. Back and to you, also, Afternoon. And also, you know, have have they have they been trying to morph Harley Quinn into some kind of hero when she's clearly was a villain? Exactly. That's that's well, of course. Uh, See, that was the joke of Suicide Squad. I will be the first to tell you that I was irritated as hell with how useless the majority of these characters were, okay? I mean, clearly, how many people did not need to be there? Aside from Joker, Slipknot, Katana, Boomerang, I mean, Enchantress's weird brother creature thing. You know, I mean, basically the stars of the movie were exactly who we knew they were going to be, Will Smith and Margot Robbie. And now that we've gotten to see more of them on screen, you know you know that they're now going to be more seen as, like, the anti-hero as opposed to a villain. And Clearly, that's what they did with Mystique. And that's one of the things comics have done to themselves in recent years, okay? You, you've destroyed the dynamic. You've destroyed the balance. Hell, Marvel, often delayed right now. What are they going through? Civil War, again, heroes versus heroes. You've destroyed the dynamic. So you want to know why characters like Batman, and I'm not a fan, but happy belated Batman Day, everyone. All right? Why Batman? Why Superman? Why Spider-Man? Why these guys got iconic? Why Flash? Why these guys got iconic? Look at their villains. They have some of the best villains of all time. Guys that, that just leap off the page at you. Their villains are, uh, are colorful. Their villains are intelligent. Their villains are right there. But the problem is, okay, we've come to an age where, oh, this is a good hero and this is a bad hero. What's a bad hero? You know, anti-hero. What's an anti-hero? I come black and white, good guy, bad guy. Let, let's see it. Make both sides interesting. But when you do all the shades of gray, all right, so you need someone who's 180 opposite what your anti-hero is. What's 180 opposite Harley Quinn? Do we know what she is? She's a villain. Oh, we need to do it. All right, so the... The hero is going to be the bad guy in her movie. So I guess we're going to get, like, Huntress to track her down or, or Huntress, and we're going to have to root for Harlequin against Huntress because it won't be Batgirl because Batgirl isn't willing to kill. <laughs> you know? Well, well, well that's, that's one of the key problems. It was, it's a twofold issue. One is, has there ever been a successful villain-themed movie? Like, how do Usual you do suspects. Say it again? Usual suspects. Okay, that, that's a very good example. <laughs> I mean, but that ain't a superhero movie. <laughs> or at least a comic book movie. You know? The, uh, hey, I, I know people are going to throw the losers back at me, but let's remember, the losers were a government group. <laughs> they they actually were a government group that was turned out, Lord, not because of them, but because of red tape. So they technically were... People who actually like that movie. I love Losers. I but have it as one of my top five comic book movies. It's like you got Zoe Saldana, you got Chris Evans, you got you know Idris Elba, you know you got that dude from Walking Dead, and he's what the comedian. Oh, yeah, Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Jeffrey Dean Morgan. I mean that movie. I I'm sorry. I don't care what anybody says. I enjoy it. <laughs> 
But but here's the thing, and I mentioned this several months ago, at the, basically earlier in the year when all this stuff was, was still fresh and new and exciting. We, we're seeing all these movies coming up on the horizon for 2016. This is supposed to be the year of the verses, right? The yin-yang. So it's Captain America versus Iron Man. It's Batman versus Superman. It's Daredevil versus Punisher. You know, the reason why, or the reason why these interactions are supposed to work or are supposed to be really exciting is because we're talking about these polarizing energies um, of equal, you know, strength and validity, you know, coming at each other. And and uh, that's the, that was the beauty of, of seeing Punisher fight with, uh, with Daredevil, even during the scenes where they're not beating each other to a bloody pulp, but even when they're just talking just talking on a rooftop. I love those scenes. I love it because it is so obvious that each character has a very specific ideology, and and you know exactly where they're coming from and what they believe justice is supposed to be, and you get it. You get it. You understand, and you're you're enticed by, by the passion for which they're, you know, trying to uphold their sense of right and wrong. Now, you're going to see other situations where that falters, and I'm sorry, I'm not, I know people are going to say I'm a DC hater. I'm really not. I just felt like with Batman versus Superman, I'm just thinking to myself, okay, well, it's the yin and the yang. You're supposed to have the light and the dark opposing ideologies, but in equal valid force coming against each other, trying to convince the other, like, no, you're wrong. My way is the correct way for, for what, truth, justice, and the American way, and to serve and protect, and blah, blah, blah. And I just felt like that is a situation where Superman, to me, didn't feel fully formed. He didn't really have much to do except for moping around and looking constipated and upset and <laughs> sad. You know, where well, this is a situation, that's, that's what I'm saying. Like, when you come up with these characters, yeah, yeah, we're going to do a spinoff for Gambit, Mystique, and Harlequin, and so-and-so. Yeah, but you haven't had a chance to even decide who these people are, what they're really about. You haven't really presented that in a way that makes sense and is in any way indicative of who they were as comic book characters. Well, that that's one of the things, and a game, you can't mention... Marvel as being able for the mo- for the most part being able to do that, but when they bring in these ancillary when they have their main characters, and then when they bring in these ancillary characters, they've they've been able to flesh them out enough that when they're introduced on their own, we kind of know who they are. But you just can't like when Daryl mentioned when Daryl just mentioned okay, Harley Quinn let's get let's let's get Huntress in there. The, the movie going public is not going to know who the Huntress is. Now the the funny thing is, is that in the in the cartoons, under Dini and Tim, when I went to I went to the comic book store comic book store, uh, I don't know a few days ago, and I happened to see one of the old uh, JLA episodes where you had the question, and hit and how he's a nut. Uh, who's the, the who's the the voice actor for that? Daryl, he's, he's uh, the reanimator. Jeffrey, uh, not Tambor. Uh, um, uh, no, no, no. Oh, anyway, <laughs> he's a great actor. He also played, uh, you know, in Star Trek, Star Trek mythology. Anyway, 
Um, when you see how it goes down in DC, in DC in the cartoons, and they were juggling all these different characters, they were able to link them up in a way where the audience was invested in them. We knew who, who uh, the question was. We knew who the huntress was. We knew her motivations. We knew Green, Lan- uh, Green Lantern was. We knew who Green Arrow was. You know, Green Arrow, they went to the 60s Green Arrow where, you know, they even deal with him having been wealthy. He's just kind of like the, the, the 60s anti-corporate hippie dude who wants to fight against the man. See, I know all of that from how they, how they even presented it in the cartoon. You had all these, all these ancillary characters. Batman himself would, would say, oh, I'm just, you know, I'm a, I'm a rich playboy with problems. And you, uh, when he was, you could tell there was a, 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 a shippiness between himself and uh, Wonder Woman. These characters emoted enough that you got enough, you know, the, the, the part where they were children. And, uh, you know, Batman deadpans at the end of the episode. And Wonder Woman says, wow, wasn't it great to be nine again? Uh, and he said, I was never nine. <laughs> I said, what? She, she was like, damn. I mean, that, that's a cartoon. A cartoon got that right. So all these DC people, and I, I, I still believe I'm one of you, these DC people that say, ah, you know, all this, 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 this stuff is great, the, the DCEU is terrific, yada, yada, yada. Look at the cartoons. The cartoons did it better. But just these one-offs without any without any linkage is doomed for failure. That's it for me. Mm. Next, heck, heck, even even Thor. I was going to mention this quickly. I just found out about this this um, kind of goofy thing with Thor. Thor's downtime, and he has a roommate in Daryl. Australia. Did you get yes, Daryl? Uh, not you. <laughs> But they're saying that this may end up being in, in the movie some way. That it's, it's kind of sort of canon. That this guy, oh my God. This guy Thor, Thor took time off to get to know humanity, and he's hanging out with this regular human. It's meant to be comical, but even when they do, even when Marvel does goofy stuff like that, it keeps every, it keeps the linkage going. This mockumentary. Right. Hey Tony, Tony, I want to be a part of this civil war thing. Tony, hey, uh, you know I got a hammer. Click, Tony, Tony. I mean, you know. It, it I makes, mean, it obviously, obviously in Ragnarok, they're gonna have to address, you know, what Thor and Hulk were doing during civil war. Obviously, they're gonna touch on that. Now, as for the mockumentary. I saw the video. I thought it was quite amusing. <laughs> I thought it was pretty funny, actually. But um, but I also understand that just that kind of goes in line with the marketing campaign, you know, towards building up Thor. Because ultimately, uh, the director, oh, what's his Taika Taika Waititi, he's mm-hmm. um, he's uh, like a New Zealander, and Maori, maybe? He, he, he kind of has a very interesting sense of humor. And, in you know, this doesn't surprise me that they're using that humor 
very much in in all their marketing and and their Instagram and all their tweets and and I get it. I understand that they under, they know that they have a kind of a, a, a tough sell because I'm sure many of you know Thor. He's not very good on his own. Like the first Thor, the second Thor. I mean, I were I was okay with them. Like I was okay because I really enjoy um, Loki. You know. Tom Hiddleston, I really think, is such a great choice for that character. But ultimately, let's be honest, I mean, the first two Thors were not nearly the success of the other Marvel movies, you know. They made money, though. Yeah, they did well. They certainly did okay. But they they realize now that they they need to change everything up. So that's why there's no Natalie Portman, and they're bringing in a whole new cast, and they're going to really try to revamp the story with the Planet Hulk um, you know, interwoven into that. So I'm, I would be surprised if they didn't also put more of that kind of quirky humor, you know, into it, because now they can see that Chris, uh, what's his name, Hemsworth, he's totally capable of it. He's totally capable of it. And at this point, I think they're just kind of experimental and like, well, let's just go out with a bang, see what happens. Um, well, you know, I can't. I, I don't can't. know about using this mockumentary in canon. <laughs> well, they kind of sort of ridiculous, hinted at that. But they kind of hinted at that that, that Daryl might make an appearance in Ragnarok. Believe it or not. But I, you know what? As good as the mockumentary is, uh, it's still not as good as as when he was on Saturday Night Live. That skit where where they're doing the news report outside, I thought that was funnier than the mockumentary. But that's where we as fans calm down a little bit because if they make if they make that a total joke in this Ragnarok, which is going to be having elements of Planet Hulk, then the very same fans that wanted this in will be like, oh come on, this got to be a serious battle. Listen, let's talk about Doctor Strange making an appearance in Ragnarok. Well, it's Ragnarok, <laughs> you know, end of the world, or end of the Asgardian world, which means end of Asgardian magic, which means magic, which means Doctor Strange. Well, listen, I always thought, and I think I've mentioned this before, when there was even a, the discussions of a Thor movie, I always envisioned a Thor movie being more closely associated to like a Peter Jackson uh, Hobbit kind of thing. That's how Thor has normally been portrayed, like a Middle Earth kind of thing. But they went this kind of kind of sci-fi version, or or uh, ultimate version of, of uh, Thor. And I guess it does. I guess it worked better in connecting all these different types of characters. You know, where, where you can kind of your suspicion of belief. But I would I just assumed that it was going to be kind of sort of a Middle Earth vibe. Um, and Peter Jackson, I thought would have been a better director for a Thor movie. But if this Thor works with uh, with Hulk and uh, and all this interconnectedness with Hulk's mythology. Um I'm I'm you know I'm I'm tell you right now I'm far more intrigued about Thor than I've ever been. And I've always been kind of like, "Eh, you know, it's Marvel, I'll look at Thor." But I'm into it this time. I will confess. We got a few minutes remaining. Uh quickly, I want to talk about um dark, uh well Nighthawk actually. There was, uh, there was a piece in The Beat that was really going in from a retailer's standpoint 
about how uh, our friend David Walker's Night, Nighthawk was canceled. And he was saying that, you know, as, as you and I know, with, with our friendships with retailers, that these, the retailers are required to order a certain amount of books that they are, more, that, that they are confident in being able, to, being able to sell and that you, they weren't going to rely on Nighthawk to, to move units. They said, uh, like this particular, this particular article written by a retailer had said that he was only able to move a few books for Nighthawk. Conversely, with Black Panther, he was able to move like three or, three or 400 books in the same month. So he thought that it was just the, the character, the lead into the character. There were issues with who Nighthawk is, uh, how well-known he was, um, the, the, the Squadron Supreme, how that's going. What are your thoughts about the cancellation and, and what the retailer perspective would be? Well, I put it in the blog uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I said it, and I meant it from my heart. We all failed. David, we all failed Nighthawk. Because how many times have we done this show and we had guys call up saying, I want a book that, that has a retail, uh, uh, envisioned our current experiences. With, I need a black lead. I need something uh, uh, dealing with what we're dealing with. And Nighthawk gave us all of that. All right? Now, I hyped it on the show. I hyped it on the blog. We talked to people in the shops about it. All right? I know for a fact other shops like like uh, Midtown Comics and and uh, Jim Hanley's in, in New York City, they had that book front and center. This was the book that all everybody who wanted the, the uh, strong black hero to take center stage, you know, this was it. This was the one we had to get behind, and we failed. And once we failed, we started blaming everybody, all right? Marvel didn't promote it enough, which they didn't. They did not promote this book enough, and I can understand why, because, hey, they've given money to the Trump uh, administration or the Trump like uh, uh, running right now. So, you know, I can understand why they wouldn't be out and out supporting this book, you know? But at the same time, it fell upon us to talk about it, to hype it up, to, and obviously we didn't do enough of that. And the, the, the business, which my friend Cyrus pointed out to me, is kind of backwards in that way where you have to go in and like two, three months ahead of time, sight unseen, request that you want this book with retailers to, to help prop these numbers up. So in a way, that's kind of a little ass backwards itself. But all in all, in the end, we're the ones that failed David Walker and Nighthawk here, and it is a socially relevant book. Back to you, Afrinard. Yeah, that's the, that's the thing that we talk about a lot, man, is that we have these, these writers on. Uh, we got to get the folks from Afro Future Fest coming through um, before, their, before their campaign ends uh, because they're going to be at the table at New York Comic Con. But, you know, I, I guess maybe because we think, well, first of all, I've mentioned a lot of uh, many times on our show. Um, many of many folks of color are not necessarily conscious that way, and I saw it bluntly at at these conventions that they're so uh, enamored with the mainstream characters that they will not deal with their own. 
So, I mean, I know even cross-ethnically, I'm on top of this new Superman book. And I kind of like it. It's humorous. Uh, I'm a big fan of Frank Cho. Uh, I'm going to rep Frank Cho? For, yeah. Gene Nguyen Yang. The new Superman book? No, I, I'm, talking about, I'm, I'm just talking about off other beyond just Oh, okay. Superman. No problem. Go right ahead. I'm making a larger point. My bad. My larger point is, um, and not just because Claire's on our team, it's because I'm invested in multiple stories and multiple uh, ethnicities being seen. So it even goes beyond my own ethnicity. So I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit more um, aware, you know, if, if there's like a book like Scalped that deals with the Native American storylines, I'm going to be more sensitive to that. But that's me being conscious about it. But when I speak to these people in, in, in the, in the, at the conventions or in the comic book stores, when you mention these characters, they're so clueless. When Shaft was out, and, and I'm telling them about Shaft, when you tell them about it, they seem to be intrigued, but they, they seem to have more of a loyalty to the mainstream products. So you have to force these people to understand that, that, you know, the importance of – there's a lot of talk, but, but the, the action of buying and investing – in yourself is a whole different dynamic. And the Spider-Man and the Captain America thing is, is, is what's going right now. And trying to get these other things, like Luke Cage is coming, there should be interest in the book to com- complement the damn TV show. So it's, it's, you're dealing with a consciousness level. Even with other podcasters of color, sometimes I think there's a little bit too much, I've said it's ad nauseum, too much investment in mainstream. It's got to be 50-50, maybe 60-40. multiracialism, and then the mainstream. Everybody else is goo goo gaga off of the bright lights and the shiny balls. I'm just saying. Claire? I think the whole thing of it being backwards... You know, Daryl's right. It is backwards, and it's unfortunate that nobody's going to pay attention to, to some of these these uh, these gems when they're still diamonds in the rough. They're not going to go and buy anything unless it's already been given that you know certifiable official stamp of hey, there's going to be a movie. Hey, there's going to be a TV show. So of course. When Black Panther made its debut in Captain America Civil War, and you got ta Coates, you know, I mean, first run, first uh, issue one, boom, 300,000 yeah. pre-sale. 300,000 pre-sale. That's crazy. That is crazy, but that's well. amazing. The, the sad thing is, is that it's all or nothing. It's always like that. With Luke Cage, of course, I'm sure that it's generated interest in the property, in previous, you know, previous issues, previous runs, but it's backwards. It's backwards because people rely so much on the mainstream, are only conscious of what's what's already been, you know, produced and, and, you know, adapted and put out there, that they only are willing to go back and purchase after the movie is set in motion, after the Netflix series is uh, about to be released. They don't do it the other way around, with these newer properties that need the support 
that need to be taken, you know, taken seriously. Like, hey, you know, you got to take a look at this. You got, you got David Walker here. You got, um, you got a fool Richardson. You got, you got all these amazing comic book creators, writers, artists, you know, churning out fantastic content. But because, but because it hasn't been a movie yet, that the rights hasn't been sold to, you know, a studio yet. No one's going to buy it. No one's ever heard of it. It hasn't been pushed or promoted enough. And then it falls to the wayside, like so many other things. Folks, we got less than a minute. As always, these, if things start to cook when we get, get ready to close the shop. Um, dark Matter quickly, Daryl. Wow. I want to look at Dark Matter so bad. I, 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 want you, I want to get your opinion on it. I hope you get a chance to check it. Is, is it on Netflix, Daryl, at least season one? Uh, I think season one is, and I, I said it on Twitter real quick. I got a couple of the cast members liking what I said. Sometimes the greatest enemy of yours is your friend, the greatest villain you make, and we found that out really in the season finale. Please check out uh, Dark Matter, Claire. I, I, I want to get your opinion on it. I like it because, first of all, we are in that cast, I mean, as far as, like, representation. That's why one of the most representative – sci-fi cast. Is that fair to say, Daryl, also? Yeah. Like, everybody is there? Yeah, there's, there's just about somebody for everybody. So, and... And, 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 it's, and it, coincidentally, it's actually good. Go figure. Yeah, when no you put tropes. people of color in there and give them something to work with, wow, they get seasoned, they're on the third season. Go figure that. I'm just saying. Anyway, the shop is closed. Claire, as always, appreciate your support. Couldn't do it without you. Without you. Daryl B., same thing. Next week, more stuff to discuss than a week before Luke Cage. Going out on George Clinton and Kendrick Lamar. Ain't that funkin' kind of hard on you? Next week, folks, it's real. Ain't that funkin' kind of hard on you?
to afford. I can never put my plans to the side with you. I can never see a red light like a deer with the headlights. I freeze up when I re-up. See, I barely have patience, and you're relating. Only the moment to complete us. Why you hate to work for it? The reason why I hate to wait for it. See, a nine to five was so jive turkey. But when Thanksgiving came, that check did hurt me. You bleed the fifth, I read the fifth for amendment. We both criminals with bad intentions. They say time heals all. But if I can shortcut my success, mother folk call y'all. Straight up. Get hard on you. 